This is the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. It is Monday. It is the 12th day of June, 2023. And I just read something so ridiculous that I just had to do another edition of the Truth Hurts Program. An obvious race baiter, an obvious bigot, an obvious hater of white people, Robin Zlotnick writes in the publication Distractify, quote, People point out everyday racism in stores to prove it's more than just the police, unquote. This article is so ridiculous. I'm going to read it as it is written. Find and identify the stupidity as you go along with what I'm reading. The article begins, If you don't see how widespread and institutionalized and subtle and insidious racism is in the United States, you're probably white and you haven't been paying attention. Racism isn't just embedded into police departments, it's in our schools and our stores and everywhere else too. That's the first paragraph. So filled with lie and white hatred and vitriol against white people that this is the choice of words this individual made in writing this article. I will continue. The article says, People have been sharing examples of subtle but deliberate racism in shops on Twitter. The pictures show makeup for darker skin with extra security tags, styling products for black hair locked up in glass cases, and products with Spanish labels that cost more than their otherwise identical English language counterparts. Let me break that one down for you. The reason that the hair care products for darker skinned people are locked up and have security tags on them is because that is the products that are being stolen the most often. Otherwise, the stores wouldn't waste their money on those security measures. If those particular targeted items weren't being stolen, then there would be no need for additional security on them. And since the white people hair care products don't appear to be getting stolen, the retail outlets have made the conscious decision to not waste their money tagging those items with extra security measures. It's not racism, it's security. It is the keeping of their products from being stolen. A person named Jesus Rodriguez posted a picture on Twitter showing hair care products, and it says it's more than just the police. As Jesus writes, the article continues, it's more than just the police, a lot more. Why would stores lock up some products and not others? How can this be right? The answer is quite simple, Jesus. It's obvious that those particular products are being stolen at a much higher rate than the normal white people hair care products. Otherwise, they too would have security tags on them. Or are you too stupid, ignorant, and brainwashed to see the facts, to see the truth? 
Are you so caught up in the lie of so-called racism that you don't see that the vast majority of those products are being stolen? And I don't think it's lily white, blonde haired, blue eyed Susie that's going in and stealing the black hair care products or those written in Spanish. Little white Susie is paying for her hair care products. Otherwise, the store would be locking those products up as well. This article continues. Unfortunately, it's a common practice. In 2018, Teen Vogue reported that a Fred Meyer grocery store in Oregon, quote, allegedly put hair care products for black women behind a closed plexiglass case while leaving other hair care products out, unquote. Shopper Sade Rivers felt that this played into painful racist stereotypes about black people. She decided not to have someone open the case for her because she was concerned that she then might be followed through the store. Someone named Cassie wrote, This was in 2018 at Walmart in my very white hometown. And it's a picture of security tags on black-centered hair care and skin care products. The article continues, the store, Fred Meyer, released a statement at the time saying that the extra security measure was based only on data. Quote, at Fred Meyer, we periodically review items that require additional security measures. Decisions about product access in our stores are data driven. We are a company that welcomes every customer who walks in our door. Additionally, we train our associates to fully embrace diversity and inclusion, and we want to show respect to every customer and to one another, the statement read. Data-driven, exactly what I said at the onset of today's program. Someone named Laura Samzreta writes, I'm always taken aback when I see signs like this. What does this even mean? And it's a photograph of a sign that says, multicultural hair care. The article then says, if we step back for a second and think about where that data might come from, we understand that it's all intertwined. Let's acknowledge that the issue is not the stores locking up high theft products, but why those products are high theft. They're frequently stolen because people can't afford them, right? Why can't people afford them? I have the answer. I have the answer for that Twitter user. They can't afford them because they don't get an education when they are provided one in school. They would rather deal with other issues than learning the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic, and proper U.S. history, amongst other subjects. And then they don't go to work. And when they do, they don't respect and treat their employers or their co-workers with respect. And they expect to be handed everything so they don't stay working or they get fired, you know, for things like theft on the job, drug use, etc. And that's why they can't afford them because they're not hardworking, intelligent folks like the rest of us. That's why people can't afford them, unnamed Twitter user, because they don't go out and work for a living and pay taxes and contribute to society in any meaningful way. The article continues, on a systemic level, people of color are not afforded the same opportunities as white people in the United States. 
There are higher levels of poverty in black and minority communities by design. In fact, black and minority communities only exist because white people have been fighting so hard, formally and informally, but just as insidiously, against integration for the entire history of the country. Take, for example, the next tweet. Two identical pregnancy tests, but one has Spanish language translations on the box, and that one costs 50 cents more than the English language version. And then the word, why? Question mark. I want to break down this last paragraph. The lie begins, on a systemic level, people of color are not afforded the same opportunities as white people. Oh, you are most certainly offered the same opportunity, but there's no guarantee of the outcome. The opportunity exists when a white child sits in a classroom next to a black child, next to a Hispanic child, and next to an Asian child. And they're all taught from the same textbook that C-A-T spells cat, and D-O-G spells dog, and one plus three equals four. Scientific data, actual tests, those standardized tests that ask very simple, basic, rudimentary questions are taken each and every year throughout the United States of America. And traditionally, having the white kid sitting next to the black kid, sitting next to the Latino kid, sitting next to the Asian kid, Year after year, city after city, state after state, region after region, nationwide, the Asian kids score five points higher than the white kids. The white kids score 10 points higher than the Hispanic kids. And the Hispanic kids score 10 points higher on average than the black kids. It's not a question of opportunity. It's a question of intelligence or lack thereof. It's a question of giving a damn versus not caring at all. This article says there are higher levels of poverty in black and minority communities by design. Of course, that could not be true. In companies such as UPS, there is a much higher percentage of black people working there than there are percentage of black people living in the United States of America. Way more opportunity afforded to those people What's the deal? If 13% of the population is black, then 13% of each business should be black. But at big companies, you'll see the percentage of employees is much higher in the black and brown sector because of pandering, because of affirmative action. That is racism dictated by the government against white people. The answer to why the box might cost 50 cents more for the Spanish translation might be the fact that the company has been printing in the official language of the United States of America, English, and perhaps now they have to expend additional money to print in a second language. Just saying. The article continues, It's just another tiny, subtle way in which people of color are oppressed and discriminated against. Some people in the comments tried both sides of the issue saying the company must have needed to change more for the translation or for the extra ink. If that is your first thought, you're not only blind but willfully ignorant of the endless, subtle ways in which people of color are allegedly discriminated against, in addition to the big, obvious ways. To the writer of this article, keep living in your little dream world. Keep making excuses for the failure in the black and brown community. Keep making excuses... For your own failure. 
You can blame the white person all you want, but the facts just do not pan out to support your ridiculous accusations. Gretchen Clayson writes in the Daily Caller, the Democrat who equated Muslims with white supremacists is forced to apologize. A Democratic Party-affiliated member of a Maryland city council who equated Muslims opposed to LGBT-based curriculum to white supremacists was forced to apologize on Sunday, saying now she is committing herself to, quote, seek points of understanding, unquote, in the future. Democrat Kristen Mink of Montgomery County Council for District 5 apologized to members of the Muslim community on June 11th after bashing their opposition to a new policy that would not allow parents to opt their children out of lessons centered on queer issues and topics. Multiple members of the Muslim community testified before the council over their rightful, justifiable concerns about the new policy. They did this on June 6th. But Ms. Mink dismissed their religious objections to LGBTQ topics, arguing that the policy does not infringe on their religious rights. Mink said at the time, quote, Just as we cannot allow folks to opt out of teachings about evolution, we can allow them to teach about this, unquote. She then went on to say that the opposition presented by some families of Muslim descent over the queer-based lessons put them on, quote, the same side of an issue as white supremacists and outright bigots, unquote. She said this, and there is a clip of it happening. Now that she's been called out about it, she says, quote, I regret that although my remarks were focused on promoting inclusion, they created an opportunity for misunderstanding and mischaracterization. I apologize for the hurt that caused in the Muslim community. Even when individuals disagree about difficult issues, I am committed to finding space to foster authentic dialogue and seek points of understanding. I sat down to hear from Muslim community members before my remarks on Tuesday and with District 5 Muslim leaders on Thursday. I listened. I understand what their concerns are. And she stated this, adding that she's looking forward to working with both the Muslims and the LGBT communities to tackle issues. Prior to becoming a council person, she resigned from a left-wing organization called Lights for Liberty back in 2019. She told her former colleagues in an email that the organization was, quote, too white on the executive level for her liking. She wrote at that time, according to Fox News, quote, This is very difficult for me to write. I am also not okay with the state of our organization. I would be more than glad to come back on board if black and brown voices are given a seat at the executive table. Everything she says sounds like a question, a series of questions, never ending, always at that high note at the end. Arguing that white women serving as representatives for the organization would lead to a credibility issue, she says that speakers for the organization's events needed to be intersectional and multiracial. She said white people should be few and with good reason. It's ironic, of course, that in an arena focused on dismantling systemic racism and confronting white supremacy, both can be found in some of the organizations ostensibly doing the work. Folks in these spaces should know better, right? Her half-assed, not heartfelt apology to the Muslims come two days after the Council on American-Islamic Relations slammed her remarks as both offensive and dangerous, and they demanded her apology. 
The representative of the Muslim American Islamic Relations Group said using a public platform at a school board hearing to link your Muslim constituents with the same white supremacist groups who so often threaten our existence and well-being has caused deep offense and disrespect. Oops, got caught with her foot in her mouth. You're listening to the Truth Hurts program. Put on your protesting shoes, my friends. There's an article here that says Cracker Barrel is getting a taste of conservative anger over their support of Pride Month. Oh, come on, not Cracker Barrel. Really? Next, the publication LGBTQ Nation has an article that says Moms force kids to stomp on rainbow flags in a horrifying protest against their LGBTQ plus classmates. Protests against gender ideology in Canada's capital city on Friday brought far-right conservative Christians and Muslims together to attack Ottawa's local school board for their support of queer students. The unusual alliance of Christians and Muslims was met by an equal or greater number of counter-protesters out there defending the rights of the queer kids and denouncing what they call transphobic fascist ideology. It's funny how if it were a MAGA flag, if it were a Donald Trump flag, if it were a pro-life flag, if it were a pro-heterosexual flag and a bunch of little queer kids and their parental units were telling them to stomp on, spit on, urinate, or set those flags ablaze, it would be perfectly okay and it would be constitutionally all right. But video of this demonstration shows some Muslim women and others encouraging young children to stomp on and dance on pride flags that were thrown on the ground and encouraging the children to clap with joy. The clip shows an older white man holding a large Canadian flag, leaning down to shake one of the children's hand in solidarity, declaring, Ride on, boys! Shouts of leave our kids alone were heard up and down the street where the protest took place, home to two high schools and a primary school. Keen Bexty is a far-right media site contributor, The Counter Signal in Canada, and he wrote, This is going to horrify Justin Trudeau. All of these proponents of childhood mastectomies and penectomies. Penectomy is when you cut off your penis. They are now officially on notice. The minority communities that have propped up your governments have finally had enough. It is very rare for transmasculine teens to get mastectomies before the age of 18, and genital surgery is not yet performed on so-called trans minors in Canada. But it's fixing to happen. Police announced they made five arrests at the demonstration but did not provide any details. Hundreds showed up to counter this protest. Oh, please, just make it go away. When will the people who are supposedly intelligent, supposedly educated, simply look at the facts that there are only two genders? Miller writes in the buzz-loving publication, Louisiana farmer in hot waters for celebrating faith and for calling out pride on social media. Ross McKnight is the owner of Backwater Foie Gras Farmstead. Supposedly, he has lost two-thirds of his business over an Instagram post. 
the Louisiana farmer wanted to celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And during his post, supposedly an anti-LGBTQ message was made and things began to escalate. McKnight said at the beginning of an interview on Fox News, after being asked why he thinks he enraged pride activists, he replied, quote, When there is no philosophical underpinning to your life, I think the only thing you are left with is rage, unquote. The Louisiana farmer was a guest on the Fox and Friends weekend show where he explained that he was never quiet about his faith. He said, I did know, I suppose in the back of my mind, that eventually there would be a conflict. It's not out of nowhere, of course, because the conflict happens across the country all the time, McKnight said, but added that it would happen now seems a bit perhaps like it was a concerted effort against he and his business. He says he wanted to commemorate a Catholic holiday, which has been a part of his religion since at least the 17th century. It is celebrated every year in June, but his Instagram caption came with a massive dig against the queer community. Rachel Campos Duffy is a Fox co-host and asked McKnight how the backlash has affected his life. He said, we have a great deal of confidence in our faith. So that, of course, never is a good thing when you're a really, really tiny operation, just a family farm. But you know, we have a great deal of confidence in our faith. We have a great deal of confidence in the triumph of the Sacred Heart and of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We're not worried in that sense, when asked about whether his business will go under. He says, you know, we'll all be taken care of regardless of what that looks like. It's a veil of tears. So what's to be expected other than suffering? He used his time on the air to send a message to fellow Christian heterosexual Americans saying, if we're fighting a battle, there's no ground behind that particular battle. The farmer continues, so this is where we have to stand because there's nothing behind it. Nothing. You know, once this battle is over and we lose, if it is that we do lose, then there'll be nothing behind it. We will have to fight. McKnight is one of many people facing cancellation by the left over the last few months. Both sides, pro and anti-queer, are firmly defending their beliefs, calling for boycotts, issuing threats, and claiming to be on the right side of history. What was it that McKnight said about rage? My friends, I stand with Mr. McKnight, although I don't eat foie gras, and I think perhaps that particular delicacy, let's call it, is more a LGBTQ delicacy than it would be a hardworking offshore oil man or a farmer or a construction worker. So maybe this battle might not be one he, mo he would be able to win. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Let's talk briefly about power. You might think power resonates from the top down and that the Bidens are powerful. Camel Toe Harris is powerful. Your governor is powerful. Maybe your mayor, your city council person, or the head of your HOA. But real power lands in the property that you own. And that's why the Democrats are so hell-bent on implementing socialism, Marxism, you know, Stalinism, and trying to take away people's private land rights. There's one guy fighting back, though. The owner of a small 1,900-square-foot house is located right next to the Masters Golf Course in Georgia, and he keeps turning down offers of millions of dollars 
to sell his house. According to a report, over the past two decades, Augusta National Golf Club in Georgia has bought up much of the land that borders its private golf club. According to the Wall Street Journal, however, despite spending over $200 million to purchase 100 properties covering 270 acres since 1999, there's one stubborn house who refuses to sell. Additions have doubled the size of the golf course and have made the property owners who sell those properties to Augusta National instant millionaires. However, off the northwest corner of the club sits a free parking lot at Gate 6A, a stretch of empty land that was once a fully lived-in neighborhood. Augusta National spent $40 million to simply buy up and bulldoze those homes, offering residents prices simply too much to turn down. But one family has decided, screw you, Augusta National. Herman and Elizabeth Thacker don't want to leave their home. Period. Elizabeth said, we really don't want to go. Her husband, Herman, said, money ain't everything. Now, Herman died in 2019, but Elizabeth still lives in the house. The house, built by the Thackers in the year 1959, is about 1,900 square feet with three bedrooms, and it sits on a small plot of land about one-third of an acre. It has an estimated value, according to Zillow, of $348,000. The couple built the house in 59 and watched as their neighborhood, once green with plenty of space for backyards and swing sets, simply vanished. Once a year, when the Masters rolls around, the area fills up with cars, and according to one local real estate agent, the house has become legend amongst golf fans. The mystery and the allure of that property is something everyone talks about each year. Peter Larson of Summer House Realty told Insider Magazine, As I walk into the National every year, I typically have someone visiting for the first time, and it's something they always point out and have questions about. The Thackers say they've never minded the crowds. Sometimes fans will stop in and they'll greet them on the porch complimenting the landscaping or asking for gardening tips. Herman Thacker's brother Bill once owned four properties in that area. He held out for years. He says Augusta National was trying to lowball him. After seeing all the other properties being purchased from him for about 400000 a house, he suspected something else was going on instead of just a free parking lot for patrons. He said at the time, my spies tell me the club may build nine new holes here. Well, here's the deal, my friends. The family has been offered millions of dollars. But good for you, Mrs., for not giving in. 1112 Stanley Drive is a home in which they raise their two children, five grandchildren, five great-grandchildren, and will not be bulldozed anytime soon. William Thacker rejected the original offer. That's the brother. And he finally put up his home for a premium price. Eventually, they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. He sold that house and two of his empty lots for $3.6 million. Herman and Elizabeth owned a second property across the street. It was an empty lot that they sold for $1.2 million. So they got a million, plus they got to keep their home. Who could ask for anything more? The offer hasn't stopped the club from popping up every once in a while. Mrs. Thacker says he'll come by here every so often. He'll say, just want to let you know we're still interested in your property. And we tell him the same thing over and over. The location, of course, has its perks. One of the grandchildren became fond of golf and is now a professional. 
Scott Brown, age 39, plays on the PGA Tour, but he's never qualified for the Masters. Who knows? But Elizabeth, my hat is tipped to you. Hold your ground. Don't sell your property. And even after you're gone, put it in the will. The property remains with the family and cannot be sold. Finally today, Kelsey Coburg writes on the Fox News Channel, Bud Light demand has plummeted completely since Dylan Mulvaney controversy. According to a bartending company founder, demand for Bud Light has plummeted since the brand became embroiled in controversy over their mistake with the transgender little boy pretending to be a girl, according to the founder of a mobile bartending company. Katarina Tucker is the founder of Barnastics. Katarina says there's been a significant shift in consumer preferences. Bud Light, once a popular option, is no longer capturing the attention or enthusiasm of event organizers or attendees. And distributors of Bud Light have even begun to lay off drivers as demand continues to drop and conservative straight America continues to show yes we do have the power to effect change in our country or to stop ridiculous change from occurring. My friends, I've run out of time for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Have a great afternoon, and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you were offended, but I retract nothing because I speak the truth. Background music courtesy of Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program is pre-recorded. Copyright 2023, the Truth Hurts Program Network, all rights reserved.